Our reading for today is found in Matthew 5, Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26. It reads like this. You have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Well, we are continuing in our Sermon on the Mount series. At the beginning of the year, we began with the Beatitudes, really looking at the who of how Jesus characterizes. He says who his disciples are. He then shares with us in the rest of the Sermon on the Mount how his kingdom functions or what his kingdom looks like when it comes to earth. And in this text in particular, Jesus addresses murder, but broader than that, he addresses anger. Now, in the previous text, uh, Jesus claims that he's not come to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. And then secondly, he says that unless a person's righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, they will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is critical to our understanding of the next session, next section for a few reasons. The first, in that what Jesus is going to do is clarify for us what the teaching of the Old Testament represented. He uses things like, you have heard it said, statements. And so what Jesus is doing is he's clarifying in his teaching. He's not contradicting the law or the Old Testament as he said that he's come to fulfill them. Instead, what he is doing, he's clarifying the misinterpretation of the oral tradition of how these Old Testament texts were interpreted by the scribes and the Pharisees in particular. And what he's also doing is expressing and exposing the inadequacy of personal righteousness and our own attempts at behavior management and the true depth of the sin of your heart and of my heart. And as a result of that, the absolute need for Jesus' righteousness, reconciliation, and healing. So with that, let's go back. We're going to work through this a little bit line by line. So verse 21, you've heard that it was said of those of old, you shall not murder and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. The New American Standard Version phrases the second part of this verse as whoever commits murder shall be answerable to the court. And this is a bit closer to the oral tradition or interpretation of the Old Testament command, you shall not murder. Now, when Jesus says, you have heard that it was said, once again, he's reviewing the tradition of what the scribes and Pharisees taught as it relates to this command. And what he's pointing out is that the Pharisees and the scribes had limited murder to being a civil issue that could be uh, prosecuted in court. 
And Jesus is saying that this has a broader, a broader meaning, that the original you shall not murder had a broader intent than simply it being a civil issue that could be liable or prosecuted in court. And it also, according to Jesus, exposes for the Pharisees and for the scribes a behavior that they could manage, that if, if they did not murder somebody physically, then they stood right before God. Jesus, however, is going to flip the script, pointing instead to the divine meaning of the Old Testament command, do not murder. And he does so in verse, starting in verse 22. He says this, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Now, these are heavy words by Jesus. But the first question we need to answer as it relates to this verse is what type of anger is Jesus talking about? I mean, is he talking about all anger? Aren't there good things to be angry about? And the distinction that's important for us to make is there's two types of anger. One anger is anger at sin and injustice. This is the type of anger that identifies a problem that needs to be solved. It grieves that problem. It then mourns and it seeks healing, which then leads to reconciliation and forgiveness. So there is an anger, a general anger at sin and injustice, but that's not the type of anger that Jesus is talking about here. Notice what he says. Everyone who is angry with his brother. This is the type of anger Jesus is talking about. It's a type of anger that is anger with a human being. It's selfish anger. It's bitterness, resentment, contempt, and hatred towards another human being or a group of humans, which is then left to stew and to brood in our hearts and then plays itself out in that we begin to consider the person a fool worthless, dull, or stupid. This type of anger with a human being or a group of human beings we've seen lately in the news as far as what it this in practice is racism, which then leads to hate crimes. It's hating a human being or human beings that are defined by their race. And so what Jesus is saying in summary is that Jesus likens anger that denigrates, which is really the heart of this type of anger. Jesus likens anger that denigrates to murder because it is an assault on the sacredness of the image of God in another human being. Let me say that again. Jesus likens anger that denigrates to murder because it is an assault on the sacredness of the image of God in another human being. And what Jesus is doing is clarifying that the Old Testament command, you shall not murder, was really about this, an assault on the sacredness of the image of God in another human being. And this type of anger, which denigrates, is comparable. Now you might say, well, why? What's the big deal? I'm not murdering anyone. But Jesus says that this type of anger ultimately is just as deadly. This type of anger, this anger that denigrates, is deadly. Now you might say, well, how? Well, first let's start how it's deadly to our own selves. This type of anger eats away at us. It shows itself in resentment, frustration, and judgment. It has a similar effect to unforgiveness, that when we unfor- when we don't forgive somebody, it oftentimes does more harm to us than it does somebody else. 
this type of anger, it's, it's far too simple. It's far too simple of a response. You can think of a toddler or a young child. Oftentimes the way that they express their emotion when they don't get that what they want is tantrums, is anger, is frustration. I think about myself prior to my counseling journey a number of years ago in which I would characterize all of my emotion as frustration or anger. And what that shows is that anger that denigrates, it only scratches the surface of our whole selves. Anger that denigrates only scratches the surface of our whole selves. My spiritual director said to me recently, this is how he defines anger. Anger is something we feel when something we love is threatened or our goals are blocked. Anger is something we feel when something we love is threatened or our goals are blocked. Now think about this in terms of the things that threaten us that we feel angry about. This could be our identity. We could feel that someone's threatening our identity and so we respond in anger. Or how about anger as a response to goals being blocked? The negative side of this, I was feeling some frustration over the last while that we weren't able to gather together as a church. And my frustration came and that anger could expose the thing that, well, people need to be together to share their faith, right? That's a positive thing. That's a, that's a positive reality of my frustration. But there's also a negative side of that anger, which could be of goal being blocked, if that could ultimately a goal being blocked of feeding my own personal narcissism of people showing up for me to hear me teach. And so anger only scratches the surface of our whole selves. Anger that denigrates also places ourselves on a pedestal. We become angry at everything out there, outside of us, but never look inward. And it rarely pursues, this type of anger rarely pursues resolution or reconciliation. And ultimately it shows a lack of humility. This type of anger that denigrates Jesus' warning is that it prevents us from being recipients of the gospel and of the kingdom. And as a result, we will be liable to judgment and to hell. Again, Once again, it has a similar effect to unforgiveness, something that Jesus will get to later on in Matthew 6, verse 15, in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says, If you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. The effect of anger that denigrates the deadliness of what it is upon ourselves. But how about how it's deadly towards others? It's deadly towards others and that we objectify other human beings. And then as a result, we murder them in our heart. No longer are others human beings. They are objects of our wrath. And what we do is we remove the imago Dei, the image of God from them. And this is a theme that Jesus will continue with in the next section of the sermon when he gets to the topic of lust, the root and heart of lust really being the objectification of another human being. And another way that this type of anger is deadly to, uh, towards others is that we assume the place of God as the judge. Now, so deadly is this type of anger that Jesus continues with the following from verses 23 to 26. He says, so you are, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you are going with him to court, lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and you be put in prison. Truly, I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. 
What is Jesus saying about this anger and its effect? Well, he says that our reconciliation must precede our worship. He's saying that our unchecked anger prevents us from honest worship. He says, settle the breach between you and your brother before settling the break between you and God. He's saying that when there is sin in our hearts, there cannot be integrity in our worship. And so he's saying our reconciliation with brothers and sisters, must precede our worship. That's what he says in verse 23 to 24. But then in verses 25 to 26, he says that we must be urgent about our reconciliation. Be urgent about it. He says, resolve the sin to avoid further alienation and imprisonment, which we've seen are results of death of self and death towards others and the judgment that is sure to follow. Be urgent about reconciliation. Now, if you're like me, you'll, you're feeling the weight of this text and the reality that it, it seems impossible to have completely integrous attitudes towards and with others before entering into worship. And in actuality, this is, this is Jesus' point. What he's pointing us to is that only through his righteousness can you and I have a right standing with God. Only through his righteousness can we have integrity in our worship. Notice in verse 26, he says, Truly I say to you, you will never get out until you have paid the last penny. And here's the good news of the gospel. Jesus pays the last penny on our behalf. You and I will never be able to pay the last penny to gain our freedom, to, to, to truly never have anger towards another human being. Jesus knows this. He recognized this. And this is why he goes to the cross. And God's anger at sin and rebellion propels him in love to send Jesus the Son to enter the mess of our world, take its brokenness on himself and die so that you and I might Live. Jesus pays the last penalty, penny on our behalf for our anger towards other human beings. And he shows us a way forward. Now, this is in no way as you claim faith in Jesus, trust in his son. This does not mean that you can just go around and be angry. It means that his, this gospel, recognizing the love of God, shown to us in Christ, forgiving us our sin, leads us to become a people that reconcile quickly. And so our response to this ought to be that as recipients of God's generosity, love, forgiveness, and reconciliation through Christ, we become people who offer the same to others. That as we recognize God's love for us, how he's forgiven us, how Christ has been sent and how he came and died for us to reconcile. We become people who reconcile with others. And what this does is then displays the active work of the gospel in our hearts through word and deed. And so what I want you to do is imagine, imagine the Christian community, the church, as a place where brothers and sisters, you and I were urgent about our reconciliation and where we avoided with intentionality resentment and bitterness towards one another. 
Let me say that again. Imagine the Christian community, the church, as a place where we are urgent about our reconciliation and where we avoided with intentionality resentment and bitterness towards one another. Imagine we are quick to confess, quick to then repent, and quick to reconcile. The Christian community can be an incredible example of this to a watching world where anger has gone rampant and anger with human beings or other human beings that are not like ourselves. Imagine what that could look like. Let's pray. And so we thank you, Jesus, for your love, for your care, and for your concern for us. We thank you for your love, God, for your anger at sin and injustice, for making a way for us, a sinful people, to you, a perfect and holy God. I pray that we would recognize the opportunity and the example that you set and that we would trust you and that as we trust you, we would grow more in love with you and that then we would become a people who seek reconciliation, who confess regularly, who repent consistently. And that the Christian community in which we are a part, God, would become a place that to the watching world would seem like an impossible community. But that that desire, that they, that they would have the desire as they watch and see to become part of it. We thank you, Jesus, in your name. Amen.